action. Amen. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this blessed day you've given us. Lord, we thank you for the Christ of Christmas that we celebrate this time of year. It seems in a way a little bit different than we celebrate him in the other seasons. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming and dying for us because you loved us so much. And as those angels sang on the, on the hillsides there on that first night in Bethlehem, uh, Lord, we want to sing and praise you and, and we want to focus on you as we're here together online in this worship service. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be high and lifted up, honored and glorified in our lives and be with us in a few moments as we dive into your word. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are so glad you've joined us for worship today. I just want to let you know about a few things before we dive into God's Word together. Uh, As a reminder, uh, we do have opportunities for you to give right from your home to support the great work of Impact Christian Church. If you'd like to give of your tithes and offerings, you can give by either writing a check and mailing that to our P.O. box, or you can give at our website, greaterimpact.cc. Or you can text to give at any time. Simply text any dollar amount to 84321. Thank you so much for supporting the great work of Impact. It's really been a, a wonderful month for giving uh, for us at the church. We're ending the year strong in large part due to your generosity. Thank you so much. A few quick announcements. I wanted to let you know some great news. Uh, last week, as you know, uh, several of us uh, headed over to the warming shelter, which is now meeting at the West Wind Sports Center. Uh, next door to our former church building. And uh, Patrick and uh, several of his team members and I went over and did a worship service for them. And after the service, three of their guests were baptized. It was so awesome uh, to be able to witness those baptisms. So thank you so much for your prayers and support for that. Uh, Coming up this Friday is Christmas, which means Thursday night is Christmas Eve. Don't miss our Christmas Eve service. It's completely online. You'll be able to see it just like this service here on YouTube at our live website or on Facebook. It's going to premiere at 8 p.m. on Christmas Eve. Make sure that you have your candles ready because we're going to have a very special moment at the end of the service uh, when all of us simultaneously light those candles and sing Silent Night uh, to close the service. It's going to be a great moment as around our valley and even across different parts of Southern California, we'll be lighting those candles and singing Silent Night together in unison. It'll be a rather short service, under an hour, so I encourage you and your family to join us this Thursday night, Christmas Eve at 8 p.m. And with that, I encourage you to have your Bibles handy as we dive into God's Word together. Christmas time, as I've shared with you over the last couple weeks, is one of my favorite times of the year. Christmas is T-minus five days and counting. And uh, boy, am I excited for Christmas Day. I have really, really enjoyed over the last few weeks uh, this Christmas season. I hope that you have as well. Uh, I've enjoyed listening to the Christmas music. I've enjoyed uh, seeing all the lights and the decorations in my own home and around town. Uh, My own decorations at home are completely due to the creative genius of my wife. I can't take credit for any of them. (laughs) But uh, it's been such a blessing to be with the kids and watching Christmas movies. 
And I really hope that you have enjoyed this season as well. And you know what my favorite part of this season has been? My favorite part has been teaming up together with you to keep Christ at the center of our Christmas celebration. I'm really so thankful for those of you who have been joining us each Sunday during the month of December and lifting up your voices, uh, singing some of those great Christmas songs with us. I'm grateful for Patrick and our praise team uh, who have helped lead us in those songs of Christmas uh, throughout this month. I'm thankful for those volunteers that have helped decorate our office facility and the sanctuary where we do the the in-person services. And I'm really thankful for you. Many of you have chipped in to help us with our Christmas outreaches. Uh, Just a few weeks ago, uh, we had enough donations come in to sponsor 40 children of prisoners for Angel Tree. And so 40 kids uh, this Christmas will get a gift card on behalf of their incarcerated parent uh, because uh, many of you gave. I'm so thankful for those of you that uh, helped uh, pray for us and lift us up to be a blessing there at that warming shelter last week where we saw, as I mentioned, three people uh, baptized, uh, making it clear that they wanted to follow Christ. What a blessing. And I'm so thankful for those of you who joined us yesterday at the Victor Valley Rescue Mission as we uh, went down to the fairgrounds and uh, blessed somewhere around a thousand kids with Christmas gifts uh, this Christmas. So it, it's been a wonderful, wonderful month of focusing on keeping Jesus at the center and doing great ministry for him together. And uh, I know that this has brought a big smile to Jesus's face. Continue uh, to serve him faithfully. Remember, God has created you for greater impact. And together as a church family, we're making a greater impact together. Well, I'm calling today's message Everlasting Father, make sure you're with me in Isaiah chapter 9. I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want you to see uh, in your copy of the Bible there uh, that I'm reading right from God's word today. And if I say anything afterwards that doesn't jive with what we're reading here, uh, you feel free to dive into God's word, do some research, and make sure that I'm on the up and up in what I'm teaching from God's word. Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Here we go. Nevertheless, There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, God humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. All those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as a people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice who are dividing the plunder. Well, at the day of Midian's defeat, just as in that day, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. The bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment dipped in blood will be dis, will be discarded and will be discarded for burning it will be fuel for the fire for to us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end he will reign on david's throne And over his kingdom 
establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. May God bless us as we read and apply his word to our lives today. Well, my mom has always been a a big fan of Christian education. Even though she could have, with her master's degree, made a whole lot more money teaching in public schools over the years, she chose during the majority of her teaching career to teach in Christian schools. And it was really important to her that she and my dad send my sister and me to Christian schools, especially in our elementary school years. So that's what my mom did. She found a school in our town that was a solid Christian school. From second to seventh grade, I attended a strict, and when I say strict, I mean strict, (laughs) Baptist school in our town. That was a pretty strict school. Their dress code was strict. Boys had to wear collared shirts and had to make sure that our hair was cut above our ears and that our hair, our bangs weren't touching our eyebrows. And that was not an easy thing to do in 1980. But that, those were the rules. Girls had to every day wear skirts or dresses, and they weren't allowed to wear makeup. I remember that a 95% on any assignment was considered an A-, minus. a 94% was a B+. Plus. This was a strict school. But one thing I am so grateful for, even though I think at times their rules were a little overkill, especially when they would bring you into the workroom and pull out that large wood paddle to give you a little bit of discipline. Some of their rules were a little overkill, but I am so appreciative of the fact that I was given a solid education that was without a doubt biblically grounded. I remember at a young age going to that strict Baptist school I was taught that there are three characteristics that describe God and only God. God is omnipotent, which means all-powerful. God is omniscient, which means that he is all-knowing. And God is omnipresent, which means that he is transcendent. He transcends both time and space. He is the only being in the universe that can be in all places simultaneously. These are three characteristics of God that apply to him and only to him. No other being in the universe is all-knowing. No other being in the universe is all-powerful. No other being in the universe is all-present. God alone is is those three things. So let me ask you a question that you may have never considered before. Here's the question. You ready? Who is the second most powerful being in the universe? Think about it for a second. Who is the second most powerful being in the universe? Some might guess, well, Lucifer, Satan. It's a good guess. Some might say, well, the archangel Michael. Maybe he's the second most powerful being in the universe. Maybe one of those four living creatures from Revelation chapter 4 as those living creatures are described as ones that bow down before the throne of God night and day. So who is the second most powerful being in the universe? And the biblical answer is, we don't know. <laughs> the Bible doesn't tell us. The Bible doesn't tell us who the second most powerful being in the universe is. 
Just as the Bible doesn't tell us who the second most intelligent being in the universe is and doesn't tell us who the second largest being in the universe is. So what is the point? What am I getting at here? Well, here's my point. Regardless of who the second most powerful being in the universe is, the reality is he's nowhere close to being all powerful, is he? And regardless of who the second most intelligent being in the universe is, he's nowhere close to being all-knowing, is he? And regardless of how big the second biggest person in the universe is, he's nowhere close to being all-present, omnipresent. He's a distant second, isn't he? And so my point is this. Bottom line, when it comes to comparing power and intelligence and transcendence, there's really a huge gap between first and second place, isn't there? There's a huge gap between God and everyone and everything else. God alone is God, and there is no close second. There is no comparison between God the Creator and the most intelligent and powerful being that is created. There's no comparison. So what God's word says to us in Isaiah 9 verse 6 about Jesus Christ is huge. It's huge. Jesus is wonderful counselor, which we've seen highlights the fact that Jesus is all knowing. Uh, we learn there in Isaiah 9, 6, that Jesus is all-knowing. But wait a minute. Only God himself is all-knowing. And there in Isaiah 9, verse 6, we're told that Jesus is mighty God, which, as we saw last Sunday, focuses on Jesus' all-power that he has. His omnipotence, his omnipotence. He is all powerful. And we say, well, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense because only God is all powerful. How can that possibly be? Well, it can be because Jesus is God. Say that with me. Jesus is God. It's not just a a truth that's revealed in the New Testament. It's a truth that's also revealed at times in the Old Testament. For example, right here in Isaiah 9, verse 6. Jesus is God. So follow me on this. There's these three qualities that describe God and only God. His omnipotence, his omniscience, and his omnipresence. So, first two titles of Jesus in Isaiah 9, 6. He is wonderful counselor which highlights the fact that he is all-powerful. Mighty God, excuse me, highlights the fact that he's all-knowing. He's omni-omniscient. Number two, he is mighty God, highlights the fact that he is all-powerful. So what do you think the chances are that the third title of Jesus that we're looking at today will highlight the fact that Jesus Christ is omnipresent? It shouldn't surprise us, should it? Jesus is described as wonderful counselor, the one that is all-knowing. He's described as mighty God, the one that is all-powerful. And today we look at this third kingly title of Jesus. He is everlasting Father, which highlights the fact that Jesus is omnipresent. It shouldn't describe us. 
It shouldn't surprise us, I should say, because Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Well, Jesus is the everlasting Father. Or to say it another way, Jesus is our omnipresent Father who transcends time and space. Let's take a closer look at each of these two words in this title, Everlasting Father. Let's start with the adjective everlasting. Uh, the Hebrew word used here in Isaiah 9 verse 6 could also be translated as never-ending, uh, without end, or eternal. The title calls attention to the fact that once the coming Christ sets up his kingdom, his kingdom will continue indefinitely. It will go on and last forever. When translating this verse into English, most translators prefer the term everlasting over eternal. Because that word eternal doesn't simply describe a kingdom that will go on forever. The word eternal normally refers to no beginning either. Eternal, when we think of that word, we think of no beginning and no ending. Now, the New Testament does make it clear that Jesus Christ is eternal. He had no beginning. Uh, he was not created because he is creator, so he has no beginning and no end. He is eternal. But that's not Isaiah's focus here in Isaiah chapter 9. He wasn't thinking of Jesus' eternal qualities. He was simply focused on Jesus' coming kingdom. They will have a definite beginning, but once it begins, we'll have no end. And so most translators rightly choose the word everlasting. Once it begins, it will never end. As we've already touched on earlier, Jesus' kingdom will transcend time and space. It will not just be localized in Israel. It will be worldwide. It will even be, you could say, universe-wide. It's a universe-wide kingdom. And it will continue throughout eternity. It will truly be everlasting. And according to Isaiah 9, 6, Jesus will be called Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. Now, it's important that we take some time to, to wrap our minds around this title, Father. Because it can be a little confusing. It can be a little baffling to hear Jesus called Father. It's a little confusing. It's a little baffling because the vast majority of time that God is called Father in Scripture, it's in reference to God the Father, the first person in the Trinity. Most of the time that God is referred to as Son, it's referring to Jesus Christ, the second member of the Trinity. So to hear the second member of the Trinity, Jesus, called Father, can be a little bit confusing, a little bit baffling for us. So we need to take a moment and make sure we understand what it's saying here. Almost without exception, that word Father in reference to God is referring to that first person of the Trinity, God the Father. But this title of Jesus is, first of all, not doing a few things. This title calling him Everlasting Father, I want you to note that God is not saying... Isaiah is not saying that Jesus is God the Father. He's not saying that. He's not saying that Father and Son are one and the same. Because the Bible teaches, particularly in the New Testament, that there is clearly a trinity. One God 
in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All three together are God, one person, excuse me, one being, but in three persons. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father, and neither the Father nor the Son are the Holy Spirit. So why does Isaiah, why does God refer to Jesus as everlasting Father? Well, it comes down to this. This title of Jesus has everything to do with his character and with his relationship with those of us who submit to his rule and to his kingship. Isaiah is not dealing with the Trinity at all in this verse. And God himself really isn't dealing with the Trinity in this verse. In this verse, this title is revealing Jesus's characteristics and his relationship with those who follow his rule. Remember that because God is all knowing, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. So put yourself in God's shoes for a moment. I want you to try to imagine being the all-knowing, all-seeing creator of heaven and earth. You know the deepest truths of the universe inside and out. There's nothing that you don't know in this universe. Imagine being the all-knowing God and trying to communicate what you are like to this peanut brain of mine. If you are God Almighty trying to communicate what you are like, And what you desire to deign with this peanut brain, that would be a tough task, wouldn't it? That's a tall order. Because the difference between God's understanding and knowledge and my understanding and knowledge is like the difference between night and day. Uh, Parents, uh, do you remember a time when your three or four year old asked you a question about an adult topic and you struggled to explain it in a way that a, a three or four year old could could somehow wrap their minds around and get to at least some extent. You know, what did you do when that three year old of yours came up and asked, where do babies come from? Uh, maybe you responded, uh, uh, well, uh, let me tell you, um, uh, uh, go ask your mother. <laughs> That's not a bad response. Trying to communicate a an adult subject with a three-year-old mind is really, really hard. Now, just about any parent knows, just about any teacher knows, that it's hard to explain difficult subjects to a young child. One of those difficult subjects is about drinking and alcohol and, and uh, alcoholism. When a little child comes up and asks about a beer or asks about a mixed drink or a vodka, why can't I have a drink? Uh, What do you say to that little child? Well, here's what I came up with. I don't remember if this was with my first or second daughter. I, I don't remember. But at some point I had this idea. Here's how I can explain silly juice. I just gave it away. (laughs) I can explain alcohol to a little child. And so whenever my daughters would ask about beer or vodka or whatever it is, I would just call it silly juice because I knew that my little child could understand juice and I knew that they could understand silly. Even little children understand that there's a good kind of silly and there's a bad kind of silly. And this particular kind of drink makes adults silly in a not-so-good kind of way. It's silly juice. And that seemed to click with them. 
Now, some may take exception to that and say, Dane, you are oversimplifying alcoholism. You are oversimplifying alcoholic beverages. Well, sure I am, but I'm trying to communicate with a three or four year old. And that's my point. Sometimes things have to be oversimplified a bit so that young minds can understand them. Now, imagine Albert Einstein trying to communicate the theory of relativity to a three-year-old child who has special needs. That'd be pretty tough for old Albert, wouldn't it? But I want to let you know the difference, the gap in understanding between Albert Einstein and a special needs three-year-old is much more narrow than the understanding gap between Albert Einstein and God. You follow me? The understanding gap, the knowledge gap, is much more narrow between Einstein and a three-year-old than it is between Einstein and God. The Bible rightly says that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. So, Jesus is called Everlasting Father because he is, he is the one who is like a father to us. Is he God the Father, the first person in the Trinity? No, he's not. But God has called him everlasting Father because you and I, with our peanut brains, can wrap our understanding around the idea of fatherhood and what it represents and what it acts like. God uses a term that you and I can understand and relate to. This kingly title of Jesus is revealing that Jesus will be like a father to us. And his fatherhood will never end. I like what the website gotquestions.org has to say about the fatherhood of Jesus. It says this. Many rulers in ancient times were considered father of the country. Americans who read this term might immediately think of George Washington, who is called the father of his country. In ancient times, the father of the nation was viewed in much the same way as the father of a family. It was the father who was to protect and provide for his children. In the same way, this child to be born will become a king who will be a father to the children of Israel. He will protect and provide for them. And his role as protector and provider will not be limited by aging or death. His role as father, protector and provider will continue. Forever. Isn't that good? Jesus Christ is like a father to his followers. So how is Jesus like a father? Well, first, he is our protector. Second, he is our provider. I think that's said very well in that gotquestions.org answer that I just read for you. He is our protector and he is our provider. Jesus protects us and he provides for us. Amen. He does. He protects us and provides for us. He knows how to protect. He knows how to provide for us perfectly. And because he is all powerful, he has the power to protect and provide for us. No matter what we need, no matter how needy we might be. I love how these three first titles of Jesus just work together so tightly. He's our perfect provider. He knows what we need. Because he's wonderful counselor, all-knowing God. And he's able to follow through on meeting our needs because he is our mighty God, all-powerful, omnipotent, able to do anything 
that power and strength can do. Now, there are a few words in our English language that really cause some emotions to kind of arise and spawn within us. And one of those words that causes emotions in many, many of us is the word father. And God knew that when he chose this word as a title for Jesus. Especially around Christmas time, some of us feel a a sense of great loss when we hear the word father. Because our fathers were, were really wonderful. Some of us were blessed with wonderful dads. And that word father just causes these wonderful, warm, fuzzy emotions to arise within us at Christmas time. Others of us have different emotions that arise when we think of father at Christmas time. Uh, Some of us have feelings of sadness, maybe even feelings of resentment or bitterness because our fathers were distant and cold and cruel and selfish. I love how. Pastor David Sunday describes Jesus as our everlasting father. He writes, everything you've ever dreamed a father could be. Everything you've ever wanted from your relationship with your earthly father, Jesus is and will be for you. Your Messiah will forever be perfectly fatherlike in the way he shepherds and leads you. In Jesus, you have a perfect father forever. Sadly, the word father doesn't always bring to mind someone who shepherds, affirms, stays close. Instead, it brings to mind adjectives like distant, aloof, passive, absent, unreliable, selfish, uncaring and cruel. Even among Christian families, far too many children experience emotional indifference and self-centered neglect from their dads. Not so from Jesus. Jesus, your everlasting father, came down at Christmas into a broken and sinful world to fill our hearts with heaven's love and to teach us how to love one another. He came to make sons and daughters out of his enemies. This is the father's gift to us all at Christmas. Isn't that good? Isn't that comforting? Wow. Just wow. Jesus is our everlasting father. What does it mean for Jesus to bear this title father? Well, it means that he is our protector. Number one. It means number two, that he is our provider. And it means third, that he is our beloved. He is our beloved. He loves us more than anyone else in the universe. You could say that Jesus Christ is is omni agape. (laughs) He is all loving. Remember of those different words in the Greek language that all translate as love into English. There's one that is the highest, most self-sacrificing, most beautiful Christ-like kind of love. It's that word agape. Oh, and Jesus is omni agape. He is all agape. He is all loving. He loves you better than anyone else. Because he is everlasting father, his protection and his providing and his love are forever. They're forever. When you think about it, it makes sense that Jesus would bear the title everlasting father because Jesus told his disciples that he came to earth to reveal the father. 
in the New Testament makes it clear that Jesus is the exact representation of God the Father's being. So that means that Jesus, among other things, came to earth to perfectly reveal the Father heart of God. A heart that loves to protect his children. A heart that loves to provide for his children. And a heart that loves to be in a close, loving relationship with his followers. Just like a loving dad who loves to bless his children and spend time with his children and be close to his children. Jesus Christ loves blessing you and spending time with you and just being close to you. I've got to say that at this season in my life, I am so, so glad that I have four daughters and not just two. Now, why would I say that? Not just because I love every single one of them. I'm so thankful because let me share something about myself you may not know. I tend to be kind of a touchy-feely kind of dad. In the most honorable way, in the most wholesome, holy kind of way, I'm a touchy-feely kind of dad. I love giving my girls a big bear hug before they go to bed at night. I love sitting close to them when we're on the couch watching a movie together. I love to be close to my daughters. It means a lot to me as a touchy-feely kind of dad. But honestly, my oldest three aren't too interested when we're watching a movie to sit close to dad. But then there's number four. Sweet Kara is still young enough where she likes to sit on dad's lap when we watch a movie. And I've got to say that's one of my favorite parts of watching a movie with my family. It's when my sweet little Kara is sitting on her dad's lap real close. I love it. It's such a blessing and it warms my heart because to me, as her father, that communicates that she still loves me and wants to be close to me. I know my older three love me, but it's just not the same. (laughs) Just not the same. Doesn't that describe God? Doesn't that specifically describe Jesus Christ? He's described as everlasting father. He loves you like a loving Dad loves you. He wants you to be close to him. He wants to embrace you. He wants to hold you. He he wants to be close to you and he wants you to be close to him. That term father was used for Jesus because that's a term we can wrap our minds around and understand. Jesus wants to be like the father you never had. He wants to love you in the most beautiful wholesome, holy kind of way. He wants to hold you close and be close to you and stay close to you. Once you become a child of God, you are his and he is yours forever. I love how the great preacher Charles Spurgeon said it. He wrote, there is no unfathering Christ and there is no unchilding us. He is everlastingly a father. To those who trust in him. Isn't that good? You can't be unchilded. And he can't be unfathered. Because Jesus is our everlasting father. There are no goodbyes with Christ. He will never leave you. He will never walk out on you. He will never let you down. He will never disappoint you. And he will never stop loving you. 
If your dad did any of those things, if he ever walked out on you or left you or forsaked you, I am so sorry. But I'm telling you, Jesus Christ will never do those things. He will never leave you. He'll never walk out on you. He'll be with you always. No wonder the Apostle Paul exclaims in Romans 8, 35 through 39, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise our Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate us from his love. Thank God that Jesus came to be your everlasting father. If he is your Lord and Savior, he is also your protector. If he is your Lord and Savior, he is also your provider. And if he is your Lord and Savior, he is also your everlasting father. This Christmas, try your very best to love Jesus Christ as much as he loves you. You are his beloved and he should be yours. Draw near to Jesus Christ because just like a loving father, he loves Drawing near to you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus Christ, our wonderful counselor, who is all knowing. Our mighty God, who is all powerful and our everlasting father, who loves us more than anyone else. Our everlasting father, who transcends time and space. Oh, Lord Jesus, we worship you. We honor you. And we want to love you better than ever this Christmas week. Thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for your desire to be close to us even when we fail you. Even though we don't deserve you. You want to be close to us anyway. Thank you, Lord Jesus. May we return and respond By drawing close to you as well. We want to be close to you, Lord Jesus. Draw us closer. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. This is the last Sunday before Christmas. If you have not gotten right with Jesus Christ yet this year, you need to do it today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Accepting Christ is not complicated. He says, A, admit That you are a sinner. B. Believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And C. Choose to follow him today. I had the awesome privilege to baptize those three at the warming shelter last week. And if we're blessed again this morning, there's a good chance we'll have a few more baptisms today. Individuals that made that decision to choose Jesus Christ And show to the world they're serious about that decision by being baptized in obedience to Christ's command. Letting God, the angels, and everyone else know they're choosing him today. If you are choosing Christ today for the first time, I encourage you to go to him in prayer right now. And tell him you believe in him and you choose to follow him from this point forward. And reach out to one of our prayer counselors right now and let them know 
that you want to get baptized as soon as possible. To tell the world you're following Jesus Christ from this point forward. If you've made that decision today, God bless you. And I celebrate that decision with the angels in heaven. For those of you who are already followers of Christ, we want to end the service by taking communion together and singing one final song together. Communion contains a bread and the juice. The bread is not Jesus' body. It just represents it. It helps us remember Jesus' body that was broken. And the juice isn't his blood. It just represents his blood. It helps us remember Jesus' blood that was poured out. Let's focus on that sacrifice he made for us and ask him to forgive us for any sin in our lives today. Let's celebrate the fact that Jesus is in our lives this very moment. And let's celebrate the fact that one day he'll come back to take us home to be with him in heaven. Take this bread, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And take this juice, representing his blood, do this in remembrance of Christ. Amen. Well, church, I sure look forward to being with you on Christmas Eve, 8 o'clock sharp. Don't miss it. Make sure you have those candles in hand. If you don't have any, let us know. and We'd be happy to try to get them to you this week in the next few days. And please join us as we lift up this final song of the service. God bless you.